Okay, so nothing like a three-way trade in the NHL to wake everybody up. And it was a couple of moments after it was made official yesterday, the Los Angeles Kings, Columbus Blue Jackets, and Philadelphia Flyers getting together on a multiplayer pick prospect deal. They got a text from someone with a really simple subject to it and body to it. And all this person said to me was, Briere has a plan. Four letters. Briere has a plan. You know, I'm always curious to see what happens when uh, a new general manager takes over, like a brand new general manager takes over in the NHL. What the first deal is like? Is it a simple deal? Is it a complicated like this one deal? What type of deal is it? You know, I remember Brian Burke um, telling me the story about uh, the time that he made the Bobby Hall leak trade. And again, this is a different era, and I understand that. In the era now, there are a lot of people that are around uh, to help deals uh, happen. And back when Brian Burke was a rookie general manager with the Hartford Whalers, things were much different. Um, but he, he told me, and it's a, it's a great story. He said, you know, I had never done anything like this before. And when I was determined to make the trade, I picked up the phone and I was about to start dialing. Oh, this is the era before cell phones, kids. I picked up the phone and before I started dialing, I said to myself, I can't do this right now. And I hung up and I stood up and I walked away from the table and I went for a walk and I talked myself into it. And then I came back and I picked up the phone again. I was about to make my first trade and then put the phone down, went for another walk wasn't ready to do it, had to psych myself up to actually make the first deal. Now, that was Brian Burke then, and you know, so Brian Burke, as we all know, he's architect of a Stanley Cup champion in 2007, etc., and the legacy is cemented. But everybody has their first deals. And for this one, for Daniel Briere, this is a complicated uh, deal. This isn't a simple, you know, swap out of American Hockey League prospects, a small deal, sort of, you know, dip your toe into the water here. We're going to wade into the shallow end and test the waters. Oh, the water's getting up to my knees. Oh, it's a little bit cold. Oh, maybe I should go back to the shore. No, this is like the dive in off the, you know, off the, off the diving tower, off the, uh, the 15 meter jumping right into the deep end for Daniel Briere, general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers. And a couple of things on this over the course of the next two hours. Elliot Friedman's going to comment on this one here in a couple of moments. Greg Wyshynski in hour two uh, will comment on this as well. Um, so here's the trade. So Ivan Provorov finally gets dealt. We knew as he had worn out his welcome and it was time. As some would say it was probably past time that they needed to do something with Ivan Provorov and the Philadelphia Flyers did. Uh, he's now a member of the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, the Los Angeles Kings, uh, who are retaining 30% of the Provorov deal, by the way, also pick up Hayden Hodgson and Kevin Connaughton. What this does is it allows them some cap flexibility now to sign uh, Vladislav Gavrikov and um, uh, Gabe Velarde. Uh, as well, so it gives you know Rob Blake here some flexibility. They can do some other business. Um, the Philadelphia Flyers in the process pick up Cal Peterson, the netminder, Sean Walker, uh, right shot defenseman Helga Granz as well, who's a second round draft pick, played with the Ontario Reign. Uh, good skater, good shots. Um, I think everyone would like to see a little bit more compete out of Granz. That was the word that I got. Uh, over to you, John Tortorella. That seems to be his specialty. The Philadelphia Flyers also pick up a first-round draft pick in this year's draft from Columbus. That is 22nd overall. Uh, a second-round pick in either 2024 or 25. And the Los Angeles Kings' second-round pick here as well. 
To which we can say one thing about Philadelphia specifically. If you had any doubts about the rebuild, if you had any doubts about the plan, if you had any doubts that Daniel Briere was working with autonomy and without other hands on the wheel, and that hasn't always been the case with the Philadelphia Flyers, and that's why uh, I haven't come down as hard on Chuck Fletcher as other people have. If you had any doubts about this rebuild and whether it's on and whether Daniel Briere is in charge, this deal ends that question. The three-way deal, uh, other news from around the NHL, uh, Radko Gudis not at practice today for the Florida Panthers. Uh, we all can recall the Ivan Barbashev hit from two nights ago. Uh, so we'll see what happens with the Florida Panthers and their nasty bit of D on the back end, Radko Gudis. Uh, I mentioned Greg Wyshynski coming up. Andrew Burnett will join me as well, new head coach of the Nashville Predators. Uh, and there's your show today. And we're kicking it off with Frege in Florida in moments. Let's get going. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. A couple of other things to go over with Elliot as well, who joins us uh, from Sunrise. From 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada, he returns after the one-day flying hiatus, uh, which I understand was drama-free, Elliot. Uh, he is Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada. How are you, Fridge? Uh, well, nobody wants to hear about my flight trouble, so I won't give them. It was pretty good. <laughs> slight delay on the connector, but all things considered, yeah. I, I've seen a lot worse. Well, listen. Good for you for uh, for for keeping tethered to your your, uh, your electronics and your uh, and your airplane Wi-Fi. Um, yesterday afternoon, you were uh, tweeting about this as I was on with Scott Lachlan here on the program. That uh, that there was a three-way deal in the works between Columbus, Philadelphia, and the Los Angeles Kings, and we all know the the specifics of the deal now. And the the one thing, and I'll sort of go through every team here with you, but I think one thing should be clear here and i was mentioning i get i i cut chuck fletcher um you know i i don't come down hard on chuck fletcher i know a lot of philadelphia flyers fans have done that um but i really don't believe nor does anybody that believe that he had you know both hands on the wheel all the time for the philadelphia flyers a couple of things from this trade um the rebuild is very much on if you had any doubts about the philadelphia flyers rebuilding this trade answers that question and two, it does very much seem like, and again, this is only the first trade of Daniel Breer's career as general manager. He is working with autonomy. This doesn't seem like a trade that any of the consultants would have approved of. Your thoughts on this deal from the Philadelphia point of view? Well, I think the key thing you kind of just said there already was that you, you have to, if you're going to do a rebuild, you have to commit to it. And this is commitment to a rebuild. Um, you know, Everyone's talking about this year's draft, and for good reason. It's three weeks away, and it's Connor Bedard at the top. But there's a, a heck of a player in next year's draft, Macklin Celebrini, who had a historic season for yeah. a 16-year-old in the USHL. And, you know, pretty, the people who really look forward and really are paid to uh, map out the future for their teams are well aware of him. And so... You know, Philadelphia is has started the process towards that. Um, and, you know, like like honestly, like Sean Walker is, uh, I, I think, a really decent defenseman who's going to play a good role there yeah. uh, for Philly. But, you know, we all know what's going on now. They got, you know, they got three picks out of it. And uh, if you're going to if you're going to do a rebuild, you really have to commit to it. And for the first time, maybe ever, we're seeing Philly uh, commit mm-hmm. to it. And, uh, 
But look, like Provorov, he needed a fresh start. Um, everything that happened there last year, uh, the pride jerseys, there were a lot of players in that room who were not happy with him. But also just his play had dropped. He's a good defenseman. Uh, and his play had dropped, and it was clear that um, even, even beyond what happened that night, that there were splinters between him and the rest of his teammates. And he's a guy who absolutely needed to start somewhere new, and he's going to get to start somewhere new. And I'll say this, I don't think Columbus is done. I think they're looking to do some more stuff. Yeah, let, let me ask you about Columbus here and Yarmo Kekalainen. And uh, we have spoken, you and I, about how this, you know, the Babcock hiring might be the last coach hiring for for Yarmo Kekalainen. And all eyes are now uh, very much turned towards the general manager. And you might look at some of the deals and say, you know, some of these are sort of hail mary passes. I mean, I don't want to call them desperation because I don't, I don't, they don't feel like desperation, but more hail mary type plays, whether it's Mike Babcock, this one can be a home run or it could fizzle. Ivan Provorov could be a home run if you can rediscover what he was when he had Matt Niskanen as his defense pair, uh, or it might fizzle. We'll see what's next for Columbus here with Jarmo Kekalainen. But but I'm with you. Now that all attention is on the general manager and getting this team back to respectability, I don't know that Columbus would ever consider putting their first round their, their their first first round pick in play but if they're going for it and trying to to reinforce this team they pick up Provorov last year was Johnny Gaudreau before that was Patrick Line they want to piece this team together with established NHL players is anything right now in your estimation sacred with the Columbus Blue Jackets or is Yarmo listening on everything uh, well, look, I, I think there's certain things he's not going to do. He's not going to do Zach Wierenski, obviously. And to be to be perfectly blunt, I, I would like. I know there's all these rumors about here about <laughs> maybe they'll trade the number three pick. I don't know. Like to me, that seems kind of crazy. You would really have to show me a deal that that you would have to show me a deal that would make sense for the number three overall pick. I mean, you, you really would. Um, you know, like, yeah. I, I understand they have to win, and I understand that uh, they – like, it's very clear to me with the hiring of Mike Babcock in this trade that another season like last year in Columbus is not an option, and, and Yarmo knows that if he doesn't get this right soon, he's not going to be the GM of that team any longer. And so, but – you know, ultimately, your resume as a general manager lasts longer than your time in a market or a city or a team. Like, five years after you leave, you're still going to be graded on the moves you make. And, like, people are saying, well, they might trade a number three pick or they might trade, like, one of their young prospects. Like, would they trade a Ken Johnson? Like, I, I would really love to see how any of that would make sense for Columbus. You can add without trading... Like, it, it, who's the third over, overall pick? It's probably Carlson, right, Jeff? Like, it's – like, maybe, tell me how that makes maybe. sense. Maybe. I don't know. But, like, after, tell after me how – I don't that, know if it's Leo Carlson. <laughs> okay, so if it's not Carlson, it's Fantilli, right? Like, tell me right, yes. tell me how that makes sense. Like, how does that make sense? No, listen – the 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 o- the only way it, it makes sense is if there is the belief that right now the manager needs to take this leap with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Yeah, but even that, that doesn't is, make that sense. This is his like, next stacking out. 
Yeah, but even that, that on its own doesn't make sense. Like, it has to be a super trade because, like, you know what, Jeff, you know how people think now. And this is how I hope, this is how I, I would hope that Kekalainen thinks, too, and the Blue Jackets think. Like, if you, like, people remember trades now hundreds of years after they happen. Like, how many stories do you see oh, yeah. out there where people still talk about, oh, well, this is what happened and this is what couldn't have happened. People love that stuff. They can't get enough of it. So if, if you're going to make that deal, you, you have to understand the risk that for 50 years from now, people are going to be saying, that's the guy who made that trade. And that shouldn't be the reason you're afraid from doing something completely. But you have to know, have to recognize the risk of how, like, like I think if you're trading that pick, and there's a reason those picks never get traded. But if you're trading that pick, man, you'd be better be getting a great return. Like, I don't care if I had to win this year. I don't care. If I was in that seat, you would have to say to me, with the quality of player you're going to get with number three pick, you better give me a good reason to even think about it. Off the top of the show, I was mentioning managers making their first trades ever. And, you know, I told the story about, you know, Brian Burke, and he loves telling the story about the, the Bobby Holik deal and how he picked up the phone and then put it down and went for a walk and picked up the phone again and went for another walk because he wasn't sure how to do this and having second thoughts. And there's no assistant general manager, no consultants. It was just him and his room and his phone. Uh, things are a lot different now, but uh, I am curious how we look at Daniel Briere's first trade ever. He's the new general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, it's a complicated deal. And, you know, that there's a couple of things to weigh here. One, A, it's a complicated deal. And for your first trade, that's a, that's a pretty tricky one to stick handle. But two, there is also the feeling that the teardown is easier than the build up. How do you look at Daniel Briere's first trade? Well, he didn't take the easy route out, Jeff. Like he didn't trade a uh, nope. like a fourth line winner for a fifth round draft pick. He certainly didn't do that. Uh, like it's look like it, it's it's what he promised to do, as, as we said a few minutes ago. And it's what he said he was going to do, and that is uh, rebuild their team. And you know, as we talked about, it was best for Provorov and it was best for the organization that he move on, and. Uh, the Flyers did that. They they got some draft cachet, which they absolutely need. I think it's important too that they also got a player in Walker that can play for them. Like they, you know, it, yeah. you, it leaves you get somebody who can be on your roster. And now we'll see where we go. Um, you know, I, I mean, the team that I think is really interesting here is LA. Uh, they they clear cap. And I think they're going to get Gavrikov signed. Like, I don't think this is a player that's going to hit the market. I think it's going to get done. And L.A.'s objective this offseason was to clear cap room so they can do some things. And, and now they've done that. And, uh, you know, we talk about uh, a guy like Provorov needing uh, a, a fresh start. Cal Peterson absolutely needed one, too. And, uh, I, yep. and uh, I think I've heard Chicago might have some interest in him. Uh, but he ends up in Philly. And... It's going to be interesting there in Philly because they've got they've got uh, they've got a couple of good kids there in Urson and, and Sandstrom, and now I saw reports yeah. today that Fedotov is going to be done his military duty in July first, and of course there's Carter Hart, and you know we've got to figure out what's going on with him too. 
Okay, so let, let's transition there. So this morning I was out walking my dog in just uh, awful atmosphere, by the way. So I was out walking my dog and I get a phone call from a friend of mine who's like, look, I, I, I hate to ask this, and I know a lot of reports online kind of get crazy, but are the Toronto Maple Leafs going to get Carter Hart? Because there's all kinds of rumors about it on the internet. And I said a couple of things. I said, one... If you're a Maple Leafs fan, get used to hearing that your team's in on conversations because your new general manager is in on conversations. That's that's Brad Treliving. He's on. He just wants to know whether he's interested or whether he's motivated to do a deal. He's someone that we've talked about this before. He he knows the lay of the land, and you know few, if any, work the phones better than than Brad Treliving. Um, and two, you know, the Philadelphia Flyers have a decision to make on Carter Hart. Um, nothing, as I believe, is imminent, but that's not to say that something couldn't be shortly. Uh, your thoughts on what is happening and what could happen with Carter Hart here? Um, I think they're taking calls on him. I think they're listening. And I think if they got the right deal, they would do it. I think the big challenge is, is it's suddenly a very flooded goalie market. There's Hellebuck, there's Gibson, there's the free agents like Anderson, Ranta, there's potentially Saros, and now there's Hart. So now the one thing about Hart is he's got another year under contract. He's an RFA, but you know, like like some of these things here with Hellebuck, unless you're renting him for a year, you know you've got to make a big commitment to him. Hart. You know, there's yep. you could technically go the arbitration route, but generally you know you've got to go big on them. Gibson's in the middle of a longer-term deal. Um, I think the thing about Hart is, is that, um, you know, again, I, I, I think it just comes down to does some teams say yes, this is the guy we have to have, and if if that's the guy that we have to have they're going to be able to move them. Now, the thing about Toronto is, as you said, I think True Living's in on a lot of things. It's kind of the way he does business. Um, I just, the, the one thing I think here is like, look, Wool's going to be there next year. The question is who's going to be yep. with him. And like the, the one thing about Toronto and any goalie, whether it's Hart or anyone else, is what are you doing with Matt Murray? Like the thing about Philly is if you trade, let's say Toronto trades for Carter Hart, you can't trade Murray back to Philly. By going out and getting Peterson, they've already got that guy there, like a guy who they're giving another chance to who's making a bigger salary. So the question to me is, if Toronto's doing that, how are they making Murray work, or how are they going to do that? But, look, I, I don't think anything is impossible here. I think, I, you know, Toronto could sign Samsonov, and it might make, it probably makes sense after last year, but I don't think they're beyond looking at their – long-term solution here and what it might be. I, I, I find it hard to believe that they're not looking at things like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, L- L.A. still needs a goaltender here too, Fridge. Yeah, L.A. does. Um, you know, Carolina's got to decide what it's doing in that. Um, there's, there's a few mm-hmm. teams out there that, you know, really have to decide what are we doing in that. Um, does it seem as if, and, and again, this like was an early whopper like of Jeff, a trade. Sorry. What's Montreal's long-term plan in that? That's another great one. What's and, Ottawa and doing listen, in uh, uh, Yes, and I think a lot of people have, have looked at Carter Hart and said, well, his favorite goaltender was Carey Price, and 
does a, does a move to Montreal make sense here for for Carter Hart? Well, we'll we'll, we'll see. This this one's going to play itself out over the next little while, and I think hockey fans should get used to hearing a lot of rumors because he's a a huge name in a premium position. Um, okay, a couple of more things here. Um, Tom Fitzgerald, general manager of the New Jersey Devils, mentioning contract discussions with Timo Meyer's agent Claude Lemieux, hoping. Uh, to lock him up uh, long term, I believe. What do you think the What do you think the outcome for Timo Meyer is here in New Jersey? And if they sign him, uh, maybe does that mean the end of a player like Sharon Govich with the New Jersey Devils? What do you What do you think of the Meyer situation? Well, you know, the one thing here is that was I was thinking more about Brad. Like we don't have an answer yet on Brad, right? And that was something that they were hoping they could get done too. So. You know, the longer it goes quieter on Brad, the more you're kind of wondering about that one. You know, I think I think Meyer will be a, a challenge. Um, I think he's uh, looking for a big number, which he should. Um, you know, again, uh, uh, look, you know, like the, the one thing New Jersey could do here is they could have him play next year for one year at 8.5 if they take him to cut rate arbitration. So ultimately, they could they could do that, or they could trade him. I, I just think with with I, I, like I, I, to me the question is how comfortable will Jersey be with Meyer being the highest paid player on their roster because that's what's gonna oh sorry excuse me no Dougie's at nine it'll be interesting to see what Meyer's number is and because for forwards they they don't really want to go much over Hughes's eight it, it, but it, it, I don't think that's going to be possible here I think you're going to have to go over that with Meyer. And then you're going to see where you, how high that's going to be. Like Meyer's going to shoot for the moon here, as he should. And I think the biggest question is, what number does New Jersey, what's the highest number New Jersey's comfortable at? A couple things quick. How's the vibe in Florida right now around this team? I want to get to one more point here off the ice, but real quick, what's I should ask you about the playoffs. What's the vibe in Florida right now? Uh, Fans nervous. Fans anxious. How's the Florida Panthers team reacting to the first couple of days? Do you have a sense yet now? Uh, I think that, you know, I was, I was at, I'm at practice right now. Florida just finished. Vegas is taking the ice in a few minutes. Uh, I was, I was in the Florida room. I was talking to a couple of players. Um, you know, they know they, they weren't very good. Like, I think, I think that's the one thing that, um, I think that's the one, the one thing that stands out is that they see a lot of the problems in the first two games about themselves as opposed to what Vegas did. Like, I was asking a bunch of guys, like, what did you learn about Vegas? And, you know, one of the things they talked about is Vegas has a lot of different ways that they can beat you and a lot of different ways that can score, they can score, and they credited Vegas for that. But they said, we haven't been very good. And, you know, the pod's dropping in a few minutes, and one of the things you and I talked about was – uh, just that they have to do a better job in front of their own net. Like Vegas is just standing there and not letting Bobrovsky see anything, and they realize it's a big problem. They they have just let Vegas do whatever they want in their own zone, and they have to stop that. Uh, okay, let, let, let me end on this one. Um, we know that the Arizona Coyotes are still a distressed market, and there's a lot of question marks about the future of that organization. And this has been, listen, this has been going on for a long time. And, you know, when the uh, 
uh, when the saga with, you know, people like Judge Redfield, T-Bomb, uh, first began and the team going to bankruptcy and Jim Balsillie trying to uh, to bring the team to Hamilton, etc. When, when, when all of these things started, there were a lot of other distressed markets in the NHL. I remember people at the Coyotes saying, yeah, you know what, we're first here publicly, but, uh, you know, the Dallas Stars are going to be next. They're, they're in trouble as well. And listen, Dallas, you know, Tom Gillardy's done a great job there. And, you know, that's a, that's a, that, that organization is on solid footing. And if you look around the NHL right now, Elliot, um, the majority, if not all teams other than Arizona, considering, you know, there's going to be a $1 billion price tag on Ottawa, like, it seems as if outside of uh, of Arizona, everyone's really on solid financial footing right here. And we're watching Vegas, you know, two wins away from winning the Stanley Cup. We all laughed at Bill Foley when he said we're going to win the Stanley Cup within six years of our existence. We all snickered, and here are the Vegas Golden Knights two years away. Seattle is a huge success story. Ottawa is poised for a $1 billion price tag. We're talking about, I mean, listen, you and I sat down with Ryan Smith, of uh, you know, owner of the Utah Jazz last week. He's trying to bring a hockey team to Utah. The NHL seems warm to that. Atlanta is out there. Houston is out there. Huge money is out there right now. I thought about something for the first time that maybe, Elliot, I don't think I've ever thought about before. Do you think we're actually at a place now where the NHL, just because how everything financially is so successful, that right now this league is lockout proof? Well, I don't know about that. Like, I I think it would be super stupid. Like, uh, I can't tell you how dumb I think it would be. But... I like, I like. I don't think. I don't think the players want a work stoppage. I think that was communicated quite clearly, as they uh, went through their process of selecting a new executive director, Marty Walsh. Um, and I don't think there's any good reason for it. But you know, something I've learned over the years, Jeff, is just because there's not, not a good reason for something doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Uh, I don't think about that at all right now, and it's a few years away, but. And I don't think there's any good reason there should be any kind of labor interruption. But, I mean, a lot can change between now and then. So it's not really even on my radar. Just trying to spread some sunshine here, Elliot. And here yeah, that's you real come sunshine. Saying, ah, calm down, Merrick. <laughs> All right. Uh, enjoy the Vegas practice. We'll, uh, we'll check in tomorrow. Debbie Downer. <laughs> you, seriously, you are Debbie Downer. Wah, wah, wah. Hey, I was surprised there's no Iron Sheik <laughs> questions. Okay, let me I, listen. I am going to talk to Dave Meltzer, the Wrestling Observer newsletter. He's coming up here actually in a couple of minutes. We're going to talk about the uh, the passing uh, of the Iron Sheik. I've got about a million stories. I think a lot of people do as well. You and I are the same vintage. You and I probably went to the same Maple Leaf Gardens shows, even though we didn't know each other. Uh, Sheik was a mainstay at Maple Leaf Gardens. Him and Angelo Mosca had, you know, feud over the Canadian title. Sheik was working for Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling in the Crockett promotion at that time, and there was a, an exchange between the two promoters. Um, huge fame, of course, with uh, the WW, the, the then WWF, now WWE, um, the tag team with Volkov, the transition champion between Backlund and, and Hogan. Um, do you have a thought on, on what Iron Sheik what Iron Sheik meant, not just to pro wrestling, Elliot, but also just sports culture, because he was much more, and a lot of it was because of social media, he was much more than just, you know, uh, a wrestler during the WWF, you know, cartoon heyday of the 80s. 
Well, I mean, it's it's hard not to think of him and think about like if you're a wrestling fan, the basically the 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 day that the territory era ended in wrestling, and that was the day that yes. uh, Hulk Hogan won the WWF title or now the WWE title from the Iron Sheik. That was the day it all changed. Yep. And uh, you know, I I remember that match seeing the highlights of it or seeing the, I guess the next week they showed it for full on TV and uh, what, like just what, what a massive moment that was. And you think about it in history and how it changed the sport. Uh, what an even bigger moment it was, but you know, I know the, I know the people who were kind of behind uh, the, the, the Iron Sheik's um, uh, online resurgence a few years ago, the, the Megan brothers and the, uh, they just yeah. talked about how much they loved working with him. Like they, they really enjoyed uh, helping him out, and they said he was very grateful for all their help. And I saw a lot of tweets from him that I couldn't stop laughing at. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> uh, and it was all sports as well. It was social commentary. It was sports. Um, we'll miss them. Uh, we'll miss the the Twitter feed. We'll miss the person. We'll miss the interviews. Uh, we still have all the YouTube videos of uh, watching some of his great matches in AWA and NWA and WWF, but uh, the passing of a legend indeed, uh, the Iron Sheik passing away today. Uh, thanks, Reach. Enjoy Vegas practice. We'll chat tomorrow. All right, buddy. Take care. Oh, by the way, apparently Paul Maurice just said that the, he thinks Gudis is going to play tomorrow. The guy is nails. The guy is nails, although he's not at practice today. Uh, all right. Thanks, Fridge. Talking 24 hours. There is Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, mentioned the passing of the Iron Sheik, and I'm uh, going to spend a little bit of time here with uh, Dave Meltzer, who is the editor of the uh, Wrestling Observer Newsletter, uh, longtime world's leading authority on everything pro wrestling. That is the must-read newsletter uh, in the wrestling industry. In my previous life covering pro wrestling, he was, listen, Dave was someone that I would talk to on a, on a, on a daily basis. Um, and he writes like his, his books, uh, he's got a couple of them called tributes. Nobody writes, you know, wrestling tributes and, and obituaries better, uh, than Dave Meltzer. Uh, the wrestling industry took a knee not too long ago, with the passing of superstar Billy Graham. And now the industry takes a knee with the passing of the iron Sheik. So I'll talk to Dave Meltzer here in a couple of moments about the life and times and career in the ring, out of the ring of the Iron Sheik. Uh, Greg Wyshynski coming up top of the hour two, and then bottom of hour two, Andrew Brunette, head coach of the Nashville Predators. Uh, lots to get to, talking Sheiky next, as the Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now.